am so happy to be here with you all. And today we're going to have our scripture reading. And our first scripture reading comes from Isaiah. Isaiah 64, and beginning in verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And all like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. You have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. A reading from the Psalms is from Psalm 80, beginning in verse 3. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, O Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. The next reading is from the New Testament. And I'm going to have everybody stand up for the New Testament reading. It comes from Mark chapter 13. And I need participation, especially from the kids, for your help whenever we get to the word watch. I want to hear you say it out loud with me, okay? So be watching for the word watch. Mark 13, starting in verse 24. This is Jesus speaking to the people around him. But in those days... Following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. 
He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with an assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, last fall, I went on a solo camping trip in the state forests of Pennsylvania for a couple of nights, and one night I settled into my tent to go to sleep. And if you're not familiar with tent camping, there's a couple of factors that, let me just say, make it very rewarding. (laughs) One is that uh, you don't have electricity and often any internet, so when it gets dark, all you really have is a book to keep you engaged. So... Because of that, you end up sleeping earlier, which means you wake up earlier. And also, sleeping on a one-inch thick mattress makes sleep very, very comfortable. So you end up waking up even earlier more. (laughs) And plus, at night, you're accompanied by the sounds of nature, kind of like this one, this visitor I had one night. I don't know if you can hear this. But there's this animal outside making these noises. It sounds really close, like within 10 feet. I have no idea what it is. Hopefully I'm alive in the morning. There's another animal outside too, but it's made, it stopped making the noises. So let me just say, falling asleep again after that was an elusive task. I pulled my phone and said, what time is it? 2.30 a.m. Oh, this is going to be a long night. I'm wired now, completely awake. I reach around my tent to get my... Uh, Hatchet so I know where it's close by in case I need to fend off this, uh, whatever threat this is at night. But all I was doing for most of the night is I was waiting, watching, being alert for the morning to come. Now, if you're wondering, I did end up falling asleep just for a couple more hours. And through some crowdsourced YouTube sleuthing, I suspect my nocturnal visitor was one of these, a porcupine. I didn't know they made those noises, but if you YouTube porcupine sounds, that's what they sound like. (laughs) The advent is the Latin word for arrival or coming. And today marks the first week, as Jerry indicated earlier in the service, it's the first week in the season of Advent, the few weeks leading up to Christmas, where Christians through the ages have remembered the first arrival of Jesus and anticipate the next arrival of Jesus. And in the weeks leading up to Christmas Day, Advent serves to remind us what we're waiting for. You see, we're not just waiting for Christmas Day, for presents, and for family gatherings and dinner parties. Advent reminds us of what we're truly waiting for in the depths of our soul, where our hope truly comes from. But the sense of waiting is 
isn't just passive or unconscious. It is more than just waiting around like you're waiting for the bus to come. But as my nocturnal camping encounter reminds us, sometimes waiting is actually quite active. It requires something of us. At the very least, it requires us to watch or to be alert. Through the season of Advent and Christmas, we'll be preaching through a series called Advent Action on, based on the lectionary readings. Now, if you're not familiar with the lectionary, it's a three-year cycle of selected readings from Scripture assigned to each week of the year to help nurture our faith in Jesus. An Old Testament reading, a psalm, and a New, Te- and a New Testament reading. This year, we've entitled the series Advent Action, drawing on the action words that we find in the lectionary readings. This week, we are reminded of the importance of being alert and being watchful and how, how waiting for Christ's imminent return helps us prepare. Today's action phrase comes from the Mark chapter 13 chapter where Jesus commands his disciples to watch or to be alert. We can be alert internally, be alert externally, and be alert eternally. Internally, externally, eternally. The Old Testament reading comes from the prophet Isaiah. And here Isaiah acknowledges some of our, our state before a holy and perfect God. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags, as Rachel held up that image for us. And we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. The psalm reading in, from Psalm 80, too, describes a longing for something more than what is present. The psalmist Asaph is experiencing something that he doesn't want. He wants more. And so he says, restore us, O God, restore us, O God, restore us, O God, repeating it over and over again. Isaiah's words express a humble and honest self-evaluation. And the psalmist's words, a longing for something more than what is present. Isaiah is waiting for wholeness and deliverance from our own sin. The psalmist is waiting for God to restore what has been lost, what has been broken, and for a time when God's presence is much more near to God's people than what they are experiencing. Do you ever feel like that? Any of those longings? The longings of Isaiah, the longings of Asaph? Especially in this Advent season of waiting and anticipation. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there are parts of our lives where we don't quite live up to the life that God calls us to. Dude, we don't even live up to the life that we call ourselves to every single day, right? There are parts of our hearts and parts of our lives that are in need, deep need of God's loving and healing presence to restore. But rather than attend to the source of this Uh, healing and restoration, what we often do is we'll distract ourselves or medicate ourselves with entertainment and social media and relationships and stuff or even medication itself. But if we're willing to dig a little deeper, we might find that this longing and waiting for more is predicated on knowing yourself more. It's an awareness of the state of our soul, an awareness of what it is that we really need healing in. 
It's in this waiting for better things to come that we have this opportunity to be alert internally. See, otherwise, anger and shame and fear and insecurity, they all spill over into unhealthy and destructive actions. Now, the holiday season can compound all of this. Amidst the busyness of get-togethers and travel, we often carry our emotions subconsciously. We carry our grief. We carry our worries. We carry our traumas. And if we don't tend to those, what happens is that they leak out at the most inopportune time. Being alert internally means tending to the state of our souls. And in our solitude practice a few months back, Bethany Blankespoor shared how the solitude practice itself helps us tend and to know ourselves better in the presence of God. In the absence of distraction and inputs for a time, that's what solitude is, is to eliminate distractions and inputs for a time. We lay our hearts open before God and allow God, the God of love, to speak into our lives. And I found this helpful tool to do this is uh, of this internal alertness is this emotions wheel. You see, for people like me who aren't naturally in tune with all of our emotions, a tool like this is very helpful. If we're to imagine our emotional awareness as like a set of crayons, you know, some of us have that three-pack from family restaurants with the red, <laughs> yellow, blue, green. That's me, okay? It's happy, sad, angry. But others of you, you know, you're born with like 300 crayons from birth. And, but you could say that the emotions wheel helps us develop our crayon set for our emotions so we can describe it better. And I encourage you to have it handy. You know, some of you are taking pictures with your phone. You can download it, have it on your wallpaper, have it print out a copy at your workstation so that for those of us, we start in the middle. It's like happy, sad, angry. Oh, then, okay, I can figure that out. And then you go happy, oh, sad. It's like, oh, there's a couple more descriptions. And then it gets it, drills down even more. And when you have moments of solitude, use a tool like this to name your emotional state. And offer that up to God. And allow God to meet you in that moment. See, that emotion, it might, doesn't mean that it's removed instantly. But in God's presence, we are offering it to the only being in the universe who knows exactly what it feels to feel that feeling. And can do something about it. And cares for you in the midst of it. Being alert internally allows us to wait for God's redeeming work with incredible hope. But the work of alertness isn't just an internal work. The season of Advent offers us an opportunity to be alert externally as well. We can be so caught up in our own lives, in our own feelings, in our own world, maybe in our gatherings and in our gifts and in our travels, we forget that there's a whole world around us that is writhing, writhing mostly unknowingly. And it's what the Apostle Paul calls creation's birth pangs in his letter to the Romans. See, the whole world is writhing for God's redeeming work to come. Jesus' words from the Gospel of Mark make it even more stark. Jesus' followers are to be on high alert, high alert to distress and suffering and celestial happenings and stars falling and powers in the heavens shaking. Are we alert to the signs 
around us of a world that is in desperate need of God's healing work? Or do we like to close it off and just deal with our own comfort? First, a few comments about this Mark chapter 13 chapter. It's, one, it's a very difficult chapter. It's not what we normally go to when we think of Jesus and his words. So let me just make a few comments. One, it's a difficult text that even biblical scholars throughout the ages have not come to consensus about what exactly it means. But in ancient literature, we know this, it falls into the category of apocalyptic literature. Like the book of Daniel in the Old Testament or the Revelation, book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. Ancient apocalyptic literature is different from how we use the word apocalypse in our contemporary world, especially in Hollywood. It's not necessarily describing the end of the world. See, apocalypse simply means unveiling. Kind of like unveiling. Unveiling of what is to come. In the ancient world, this kind of literature uses figurative language and symbolism to hint at things to come to people who would be willing to listen. And especially in a politically dangerous time to say such things explicitly. So that's the kind of literature this is. Secondly, Jesus is speaking about two events here. We only read the last half of it, but he's talking about two events. Distinguished, if you read the whole chapter, he talks about these things, and then he talks about those things and those days. There's a more immediate and local event, which is the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70, so about 30 years after Jesus died. That's the immediate these things that's going to happen. See, the chapter begins with the disciples marveling at this magnificent building, the building of the temple with pride. And they're thinking Jesus' arrival has something to do with, oh, the temple's going to be even greater, and these Roman occupiers are going to be gone, and we're going to be able to worship God, and God's going to come, and we're going to be so great. They look upon the temple mount from the Mount of Olives from across the valley and they see Jesus' arrival perhaps as the restoration of Israel's glory. Now, if you've had a chance to visit, it's quite a sight. This photo on the right, uh, you can see the photo of my visit last year. So I'm standing on the Mount of Olives and there's a valley there and then you can see it. It's very small, but the dome of the rock is the Muslim temple that's sitting on the temple grounds. That's... That's Mount of Olives. The disciples are sitting there pointing at the temple, saying, look at that magnificent building. And this is going to get destroyed, Jesus? That's what they're asking. And that's what Jesus is answering. And on the right, you'll see the, uh, a, f- a photo of one of the foundation stones that's been excavated. It's the size of a bus. It's a single piece of stone. And so Jesus is saying, these stones like these are going to be thrown down. So here Jesus is answering his disciples' questions about when is this going to happen? When's this going to take place? That's the immediate and local event. But there's a lat- the latter half of the chapter is talking about the cosmic events of transformation and renewal that will take place when Jesus returns once again. Jesus is directing our attention to external signs, saying, be alert, stay watchful, even though we don't know when it's going to happen, be alert. And when the Israel-Hamas war broke out, I was grieved, not just by the killing of the Israelis and the uh, uh, taking of, uh, uh, of hostages, but also this humanitarian crisis in Gaza. 
and the impossibility of wondering what's going to happen in Gaza to the people of Gaza after this ends, whenever it ends. But I was also grieved by the immediate response by some Christian pastors the very next day on October 8th who jumped on to say that these are the signs of the end times calling Christians to alertness and prayer for a particular outcome in the world that would hearken Jesus' return. Yes, we are to grieve. Yes, we are to pray. Yes, we are to be alert to what is happening in the world around us and not cloistered up in our own world, insulating ourselves from the, in a cocoon of, our, of comfort. Yes, we are to be alert to Jesus' imminent return. Those are all things that we should be doing. But Jesus' call to alertness isn't so that we can be right about what is happening in the world. The call to be alert isn't so that we know the dates and the times and the events that signal, this is it, Jesus is coming. Instead, the call to be alert is for Jesus' followers to be faithful to Jesus in this time. This alertness to what is going on around us is a call for us as Jesus' followers to walk in the way of Jesus. To walk in the way of justice. To walk in the way of love. To walk in the way of peace. In spite of the tragedies. In spite of the grief of the events around us. See, I don't think you need a degree in anything to say that the wor- all is not well in the world. And ignoring the plight of our neighbors isn't going to make our lives better. Instead, in our waiting for Jesus' arrival, we have a role to play in making the world just a little bit more like the world that it will one day be with Jesus' help. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. There's a prayer of St. Francis. It's quite familiar. We even have a song that we sing based on the words. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not, seek so, may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. And he goes on. See, the prayer of St. Francis is not meant to be just his words. It's meant to be ours as well. Where there is hatred, where there is injury, where there is doubt and despair and darkness and sadness, we are to respond, which means we actually have to be alert to those things. The first assumption in this prayer is that we actually notice those things happening. We can be alert to them, and we can, in response, bear love and pardon, and faith, and hope, and light, and joy. All these things that Jesus came to bring in his first arrival, and ultimately will make complete in his next arrival. Be alert. Take action during Advent. And we're going to unpack this more next week. Be alert internally, be alert externally, and finally be alert eternally. See, in America, there's a call to alertness. But it's often it's an alertness to, that is tinged with personal or national security interests. Post 9-11, we're told that we need more air marshals on our planes. We need blockaded airplane co- cockpits and full-body security scans that at one time, up until 2013, not only scanned for metal and, and weapons on your body, but could scan like your underwear and the layers of fat you had under your clothes. 
We must be alert to the possible terrorists and eliminate that threat. You know, America, that's, what, that's what America is, right? America spends $878 billion a year. This is 2021, 2022 stats. That's more than the next 10 defense budgets of the next 10 countries all combined. All to be alert for threats to our national security. We're also told to be alert for personal reasons. When we ride the metro, when we walk, and when we drive, because you can never be too careful. Carry some pepper spray, lock all your doors, get security cameras, we learn, learn self-defense. We must be alert even to toxic people who could be present in our midst. That's almost the American pathology and what drives a good part of our economy. It's built on this culture of intense fear. And there's a certain degree of wisdom in being alert for our safety. I'm not saying don't be unsafe. But this is not the kind of alertness that Jesus is calling his followers to. Jesus' call to alert, be alert isn't for self-protective reasons. is isn't about protecting me and about protecting my people, the people that I like, or protecting my nation. We're to be alert for eternal reasons. In Mark chapter 13, he repeats this warning as uh, Rachel helped remind us. Be alert, be alert, keep awake, watch. It repeats several times in just four verses. You see, when Jesus returns, he is not primarily coming to take people away from threats and dangers and evil around us, although that's going to happen as a result of when he returns. He is coming to make things new. Jesus is coming to restore God's good intentions for humanity and for creation that have been irreconcilably broken by sin and the fall. That's what Jesus came to do. And in his first arrival, Jesus came to show humanity what life in God's restored kingdom might just look like. Where sin and shame do not infect our day-to-day lives. That's what Jesus came to show. People are healed. People on the margins of religious practice and of society find that they are included. And the most unexpected thing that Jesus does he says, your sins are forgiven. Something that only God could do. It's something, sometimes he even proclaimed forgiveness of sins before a person is even healed, like he did for the paralytic who was brought by his friends to be healed. He proclaims, your sins are forgiven first. And then he says, now take up your mat and walk. Ultimately, we see the power of Jesus' transformative work And the way he backs up this ability to forgive sin. He does that when he goes to the cross and rises from the grave. He's now ascended into heaven and he will return once again. So we are to live our lives on high alert with that in mind. That story. Live every day as if the advent of Jesus' return is imminent. And this is what the season of Advent reminds us of. Don't continue on with your rest of your life worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to buy, but live knowing Jesus and his kingdom is coming. And this affects how we do it every day. How we spend our money, how much we save our money, how much debt we take on, how we use our bodies in romantic relationships, how we respond to apparent threats, 
around us, how we vote, how we organize, how we use our power and influence in ways that reflect God's character, how we relate to the created order. We can approach all of them not like we're building our own kingdoms and our sense of happiness and our comfort. But we are to be alert for the ways that we can reflect the character of Christ and his kingdom that will come. What are you most alert to in your day-to-day life? It may not, even, it may not be personal safety or the latest virus, infectious disease that is to be vigil, vigilant towards. And maybe I wonder if what we're most alert to is the notifications on our phone. The pings of our emails and texts and social media and the latest shopping deals that are delivered to your screen on, on demand. Or actually, not even on demand. It just comes to you. The Advent, this Advent season, consider instead how we might be alert to the presence and work of Jesus in our lives and in our world. How might Jesus be inviting you into that work? What do you need to rein in with your own alerts? And how can you be alert to him? Jesus says to his disciples, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's the only thing that's going to go on for eternity. Our words, our actions, the notifications we respond to, the things that we worry about, they will all pass away. But Jesus' words and his works will never. The invitation of the Advent season. If you need some encouragement to remain attentive to his words and to this invitation of Jesus, Jess has prepared some wonderful devotionals that will be delivered to your phone twice a week so you can sign up with this QR code on screen or to find out more of the resources at wcfchurch.org advent. Taking action in light of Advent, it's the space between Jesus' two arrivals. This means that we can be alert internally, we can be alert externally and eternally. So our lives and our world better reflect the one that we say is our Savior and the leader of our lives. So may we do so with incredible humility, but also with incredible hope.